Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. My guest today is Sasha Costanza-Chalk, and um, pronouns are she, her, they, them. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I am a fan. Um, and uh, my name is Sasha Costanza Chalk. I'm currently an associate professor of civic media at MIT, um, but I'm also um, on the steering committee of the Design Justice Network. So I hope we get to talk about that a little bit today. Um, and I'm a board member of Allied Media Projects, which is best known for producing the annual Allied Media Conference. Um, and I am a scholar and an activist. I work in the tech space, um, and I am working on trying to figure out how we can build a technology ecosystem that is more radically just and inclusive and uh, that will challenge rather than continually reproduce oppression uh, and help us build a world that will be ecologically survivable as well. All right, you said a mouthful of this, Sasha. <laughs> So we're going to start as we always start. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Wow, we need to cause a scene. There are so many reasons we need to cause a scene right now today. I mean, we're having this conversation at a really um, dangerous moment. I mean, all these all moments are dangerous for the last four or 500 years, though. But, uh, um, you know, the banana in chief right now is, um, you know, trying to um, ramp up to a new war. Um, hopefully so that, you know, for him, I think this is about remaining in power, but, um, it's important to cause a scene because we lived in a deeply fucked up world, um, where racism, anti-blackness, misogyny, trans misogyny, misogynoir, ableism, Islamophobia, settler colonialism, and other axes of historical and ongoing oppression, um, just continue to structure so many, well, all of our lives, really, uh, in different kinds of ways. Um, and we need to figure out how do we break that? How do we break those systems? How do we challenge um, the matrix of domination, as Patricia Hill Collins calls it? And how do we build a more liberatory world? And frankly, we need to figure out how do we, how do we survive? How do we build a world that we can survive in uh, instead of um, act as if there's unlimited ecological and human resources that can just be continually exploited because at this rate, you know, we're not going to have too many more generations of, of humans allowed to survive on this planet. And so how are you causing a, spe a scene specifically? How am I causing a scene? Um, wow. In, I, I try to cause a scene wherever I go, <laughs> but, um, so at the moment, um, I have a new book coming out, um, which is called Design Justice, Community-Led Practices to Build the Worlds We Need. Um, and that book is about challenging a lot of the received sort of wisdom about technology and what it is and how it gets developed, how it gets developed, who gets to be part of the development of technology, um, and what the ways that um, inequality is constantly being reproduced through 
um, system affordances as we build them. Um, but that book is really not just sort of my thoughts. That book is me trying to sympathize and talk about um, work that's coming from this whole community of people that I'm part of, uh, the Design Justice Network. And I hope we get into that a little bit more later. But so I've got this book coming out, um, you know, that I hope will have an impact and will cause a scene and it will be something that will um, make people in certain circles, um, you know, have be forced to confront um, some of the harmful practices that are that are rampant in the way that we're designing and developing technologies. Um, so I do that in my scholarly work, and I also try and do it in my day-to-day -day practice um, and in the communities that I'm that I'm a part of. Um, I try and do that as an educator as well. So you know, I'm I'm inside MIT, which is a very powerful institution. Um, it's a white-serving institution. It's an institution that's about um, you know, on the one hand, there's all this this brilliance there of a certain kind, right? So there's so many amazing inventions that have come out of MIT, so much basic science, um, so much has been developed there, but also um, MIT is a place that produces a certain kind of class of technocrat that helps build and maintain the current global order of white supremacist, heteropatriarchal capitalism and empire. Um, and it's a key node in that whole sort of like global network. Um, so I try and do what I can within that institution to expose my students to um, ideas about, you know, about power and how it operates and how it needs to be challenged and, um, and do what I can to, I guess, yeah, connect, connect my students to other ways of thinking about what they might do with their lives and their skills. All right. Okay. So I wrote down a question. We're definitely going to get into the um, design justice um, network that you were talking about. But I wrote this question because, um, again, this episode will air in February, but it's right after the new year. And so I want everybody to understand the context of why I'm asking this because I bring so many, yes, I stay in the tech space. Um, yes, yes, I talk a lot about um, bias and exclusion and harm and oppression and and, and all, you know, inclusion and diversity, all these words. Um, and when you were talking, I just, and, and you kind of answered it, which was interesting. So I wrote down the question, because um, I always bring these, these, okay, uh, maybe this, I'm still working it out in my head, and you, you know people in the audience, that's what I do, so I'll, it'll figure it out by the end of this hour. But the question I wrote down is, why do these isms, because you mentioned all the isms, you know, like not all of them, but you talked about all these different things, massage noir, you know, transphobia, all these things keep coming back to tech. And I, and I, and I just, um, and I loved how you, without me thinking about it, you wrapped MIT in there. So talk about, mm. because we in tech have done a great job of, of selling how perfect technology is and how the average person does not need to concern themselves because we have it taken care of. We have your best interest at heart and we know what's best for you. Um, and the average person believes this. Um, and if they don't believe it, they don't because it's not happening in many of our communities have, have not made a connection or don't understand that they can play a role in producing better tech. Um, 
because we're just pitched as consumers of tech. And so that goes, so again, I'm processing, um, I learn every time I have one of these podcasts, but I'm pro- something about what you said just made me write the question now. Why do these isms, axes, axes of oppression keep coming back to tech? That is such a good question. Um, I kind of have like two answers in my mind. But I mean, one of them is just that like myself, I think like you, you know, we're, we come from this space and so we're working in this space. So we're just focused on the intersections between these different structures of oppression and domination and the way that they show up in technology and who gets to design technology and the values that are built, that are encoded in technological systems. Um, and then in the way that technologies get used to distribute benefits and harms. Um, so like we're, we're in this space, so we're focused on it. So we maybe see it everywhere. And I wonder, like, you know, if I worked in, um, I don't know, if I worked in healthcare or something, I think I would probably, maybe I would be like, it all comes back to the way that, you know, oppression is being reproduced through the health system. You know what I mean? Um, but I also think, but I also think that there is something special mm-hmm, mm-hmm, about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. technology as a sector. That's because, a good point. That's a good point. You know, <laughs> there's so much cultural discourse about technology and about its power and its importance. We've organized so much of our society around um, trying to rapidly develop new, develop and deploy new technologies. We imagine it as sort of like the most productive um, career to be in. Like every, the whole idea that like, everybody must learn to code. Um, you know, there's a, there's a cultural narrative that technology is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's a narrative that goes back even, you know, for a long time, it goes, it comes from like modernity. Um, and it's, it's about sort of like progress and, you know, in some ways, maybe that cultural narrative about technology being the most important thing, it's like deeply bound up with, white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism. Like the idea that we can dominate the universe or the dominant world mm. through our power over it because through our technologies, we can become like God in quotes, right? Mm. Um, so I don't know. Those are some of my thoughts. What do you think? <laughs> you know, some of the things, see, it was, so as just you talking, because one of the things, the reasons I stay in tech, well, first of all, I'm a black female. So I, I am not going to just engaging with white supremacists just willy-nilly. That is just not safe for me. So um, for me to have these conversations, I found because of the business um, mandate that is that requires an information economy, a knowledge economy, tech is the place to be in to have these conversations. Because I've never, I've been in education, I've been in nonprofits, um, I've been in different spaces. I've never come across this. Eclectic is not the best word, but this is the word I'm going to use. Eclectic group of individuals in a space. Um, I knew about trans individuals. I actually um, was a receptionist for a doctor who um, in Chicago at the time, and I didn't even know it when I first started, um, that provided his his practice provided counseling and medications and everything for people transitioning. So I knew about trans. I watched Paris is Burning. I've never been in the, and, and I was still thinking binary then. I never knew anything about non-binary and, and, and different 
and trans being an umbrella for all these other things. This I'm learning in this space. And so just when we're in tech, we buy, I don't know if it's in the past, the narrative was um, the quote unquote nerds came into the space because they got to be by themselves and they got to, you know, put their heads down and they have to, they didn't have to have people skills. But what has opened up is a total pendulum of that, which is the space that needs everybody to make informed choices. So everybody is here. Everybody's not welcome. Some people are actively harmed. How do we do that? Because we're here to help create products and services on a global scale in every industry. That's one reason I like being here because tech, although, you know, there's medicine and there's education, tech is in, it's the only thing I know that touches, intersects all of these things. And so not only do we have this unique intersection, but we have this unique, unique opportunity to have these very unique and at scale perspectives. I mean, the, the, the number of people who follow me who are not like me <laughs> is, is just amazing to me. The number of people I follow who are not like me is amazing to me. And for us to be able to learn from that and bring those unique lived experiences together to inform um, products and services um, is, but I, it's, so it's really, it's, it's, I get that. And it's just like this axis of tech is this thing. And that's what I liked when you were like the white supremacy, we want to dominate and want to, you know, to, 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 to not even manage, not even own. We want to, it's not even manipulate. We, 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 we think we're puppeteers or something here, <laughs> you know, and there's so much megalomania in this space. <laughs> there is. Um, there is. And it's caught, it's, it's like you, ah. So there's another place where so many people with so many little knowledge about a thing that they're working on get to have so much power. power. <laughs> exactly. Oh my word. So this speaks to, um, so there's an ongoing conversation I'm having right now with boot camps. So I'm an educator. So I totally agree with you. Everybody does not need to learn to code. I, I, I the only thing I said I, I would say is, techno, uh, coding is this in this generation's se- second um, language instead of French and whatever. Um, but I don't think everybody needs to learn to code. I need think people need to be technology uh, technologically literate. Yeah. Um, and so that is a difference from learning to code. But the question from the conversation we keep coming up is these shitty ass boot camps that are out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now everybody's talking about this this funding model of ISAs, uh, income um, income sharing agreement. And people who are now saying, "Oh shit, what do we got ourselves into?" Because they saw they they saw. Only, they were only looking at one part of what's fucked up about education, why education is failing. I come from public schools. The reason I left is too many people are profiting off a, off a, off a failing system. There is no incentive to fix education. So mm. when you look, when I come from this, I don't look at it from the venture capitalist perspective. I don't look at it from, oh, college is too expensive. We need an alternative solution. Yes, we do need that. But when I look at what I'm seeing with boot camp curriculums, 
there is none. When I'm looking at support for all adult learners, there is none. When I'm looking at something that's calling itself an education model, I don't see anything about it that falls in line with education or effective educational strategies. What I see is something that that they slapped onto a funding model, which they can sell. That is happening over and over again. And that speaks to your point about somebody has some one perspective of knowledge about something and they think that they are gods in this. And the fact that white men are considered great just by having an idea and being white is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I'm finding that there are people who are, who are from even marginalized communities are saying, oh shit, what do, I thought this ISA, uh, ISA thing was great until now. I was like, yeah, because you didn't have a perspective of an educator. Mm-hmm. I've, since I've gotten into this space, I've been questioning how these boot camps are, uh, how yeah. I didn't even think about the funding model. That's a whole yeah. lot of shit show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I can't say that much specifically to the ISAs because like I really learned about it from, you know, listening to you and like looking at the conversation that you're having. Oh, and, I'm just learning about them now. So, <laughs> so I don't know that much about them, but what I can say, I do, um, so I do have a chapter in the new book, chapter four, mm-hmm. which is called Design Sites. And it's about hacker spaces, fab labs, hackathons, and discotheques, which are discovering technology fairs. And it's a critical read on some of the spaces that get privileged as sites of uh, technology design. And mm-hmm. boot camps could certainly sort of be in there. Like I didn't do a thing on boot camps because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't focus on it, but I am looking at these sort of the, the ideology of these spaces that are like, oh, we'll have like a room with a bunch of computers and we'll throw some children in there and then they'll all just magically learn how to create and hack everything. And then, you know, there's plenty of good research around how that then plays out. How does, how does that work out? Well, it works out great if you're an already privileged child who comes from like, you know, you're a middle-class background, you've got the right like gender, which matches the sex you were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. And you're, you probably got white skin privilege, not exclusively, but probably. Mm-hmm. And and so on and so forth. You got internet that works and yeah. all these. <laughs> at home, always on. If a whole yes. bunch of other things yes. do line up, then great. Have like a play space and you can use that to hack mm-hmm. and make and learn. But um, if those things don't all line up, then it's not going to work out that well as far as being a learning space for you because there's not going to be the proper type of scaffolding. There's not going to be the ah, Thank you. you. I can tell you're an oh. educator. You use the word <laughs> scaffolding. It's like, yes. <laughs> So then, I'm very critical of of the of that whole space, and and I think with the boot camps, um, I see a lot of snake oil with mm-hmm. them as well. Um, people being asked to whether it's by taking a loan or personally funding it or through the ISAs or what have you, basically being asked to invest in a model that's mostly unproven mm-hmm. that is probably not going to work for them that may or may not land them uh, you know a position, and if they do. I'm sorry, but it's probably going to land them a position that's going to be automated out, you know, within the next, you know, decade kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that I think that they're useless. I'm saying I think that there is so much trash out there and, you know, that w- like there are probably some that are doing doing it really, really well. But um, in general, the whole space is really a mess. And I'll say one yeah. more thing about it, which is that... Um, in terms of what's broken, like we can't talk about what's broken in terms of education and coding education and the boot camp system without zooming out to look at the larger context of our 
educational system. Exactly. Why is it? Why is it that Trump is like, oh, I've got two trillion dollars I have just spent on purchasing new weapons that we're going to use to kill innocent people and destroy cultural heritage sites in violation of the Geneva Conventions, but but they can't find a quarter of that to just like fund all the free, uh, you know kindergarten pre-k up through higher education that they would need um for everyone to just be able to access whatever education that they wanted to have so they could maximize their potential that's bullshit everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles one tech is not neutral nor is it apolitical two intention without strategy is chaos Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. So can maximize their potential. That's bullshit. And it's the same thing where, you know, just like allocating, just moving funds to, to, to build a wall that doesn't work. Exactly. From, um, from Puerto Rico, from disaster relief. Yes. And he's yes. like, oh, I don't let, let's let, let's let these brown people die over here while we build a wall over here so that more brown people will die in this location. Yes. Like, yes. Yes, I just actually and, came back from Puerto Rico. Uh, my partner, my partner is is Afro Puerto Rican, mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. were just there um, for several weeks and just like you know being with friends and family, and I mean mostly just relaxing, but also like meeting with some people and learning a little bit more about just what the fuck has been going on. Yeah, because they they have nowhere near recovered from any of that, mm-hmm. and there's and that's and that's the that's the thing because um, people say why again why do I harp why am I staying in tech why am I staying in tech and I use the boot camps is just an illustration of the problem while while you're focusing because your perspective allows you to only focus on oh we need an alternative because college is so expensive that's not the whole fucking story that is right. just not the whole because yeah you can say you need an alternative that the um, that many people aren't working with their same degrees. I didn't go to college just to get, a co- I went to college for socialization. College is great for explo- exploration. College is great for a, a lot of things besides just getting the degree and being working in the job that you um, feel. And also with my student loans, if I'm not able to pay, there's somebody I can, can negotiate that with. Mm. Um, mm. There's, a, there's a lot of things. Yes, I hate that I have the student loans that I have. But it is what it is. Um, what I don't feel from from my student loans is that I was got, that I was scammed, that I, um, um, and that's the system of student loans. Now, I'm sure people go to schools that uh, they may feel that way, but I have not attended any of those schools. And one of the reasons my student loans are so high because I chose private schools. That was a That was a choice. I had that privilege. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, 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 people, um, there's a lot of gray in there that, that, that calculate to where I am with my student loan issue. Um, and when you take, again, it's like we have this issue with, we want to say there are no non-binary issues in one category, but we cannot extend that to anything else. Everything else seems to be binary. It's like, no, that doesn't, that's not how that works. <laughs> if there are no binary issues over here, then there are no binary issues over there. <laughs> Definitely being a, tr- a trans person and being a non-binary person 
does influence the way that I think about everything. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> because And so for me, being a Black woman who's always been, if not explicitly told and, and, and implicitly told and taught that I have no value, um, finding value or not even finding that, creating value or, and demanding that the value that I create for myself be respected by others. That was one reason I, I spoke at 19 conferences in 2018, 2017, because I was like, yeah, I'm in this space. At the time, I didn't have the language to know what it was, but I was like, I refuse to let these people determine my value because I'm seeing what they're doing to people who look like me, um, who have way more experience in, in what people consider technology than I have. And they're still scraping, scraping and scrambling. I'm not going to be doing that. So I need to create my own value. And so that, and, and oh, you just hit on something. And this is where I want to pause for a second and I want to breathe because I want to I say that the word, when we use the word marginalized, in the, um, I'm talking about groups of how groups are being treated. These individuals, us, you, me, we come with a unique perspective. We have so much value. And this is what I want to, before we move on, I want people to understand what you just said about being a trans, non-binary individual. What I said is about being a Black woman is we have a unique perspective that is valuable. No, we don't need anybody to tell us we're valuable. We are valuable. And we are valuable to tech and tech needs us. It's tech's fault that it can't figure out what the fuck to do. It's not ours. And that's the problem. It's we're leaving because tech keeps saying, oh, no, it's you. No, 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 it's not us. It's not us. It's tech. <laughs> and we're here in enough numbers now, going back to what I said before, to force change. Mm. I hope so. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely no. I believe so. There are enough people... Like I said, let's go back to what I said before. I worked for a doctor who had a uh, 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 practice about, uh, with trans individuals. I had no idea anything about pronouns at that point. Now I'm asking people about their pronouns. Now I'm starting to show with telling people's pronouns. I never even thought about, I've filled out my financial aid papers to go back to school this semester. And on the financial aid doc, I mean, on the thing, I couldn't, immediately hit me that they only have male and female those things i would that's not have funny. been yeah, exactly so many those, drop downs i mean that's where the they didn't even have a drop in the town they just had the radio button male female oh, that was no, it. right yes One and that was other. that's yeah. the federal government's mm -hmm. financial aid now think about all the non-binary and trans individuals in this millennial because they they're they're identifying in all kinds of ways. Exactly. And, and I mean, what we're forcing them to, to say about themselves. I think this goes back to something that you were talking about earlier, which is like, why, why is tech so important? Why is it a space that's worth like staying in and intervening in? And to me, it's partly about that. It's about the way that like these ways of seeing the world, reductive ways of seeing the world, reductive and limited and harmful ways of seeing the world and treating others in the world who are, who are not within that, that privileged axis of like, I'm, you know, a white cis male, et cetera, et cetera. Like that those who get, those who are building technological systems get to set them up and encode their ideas and their vision and their way of seeing the world. And that shows up in everything um, as small as a radio button. Yep. that's going to let somebody, select or not select their actual identity. And I, um, I talk about that in, in the new book. I talk about that as the, 
a, a disaffordance. Like it's kind of like dysphoria, D-Y-S. So like people have gender dysphoria if they feel like the, um, you know, the, the gender that the sex that they were assigned is, you know, not related to the gender that they identify with. Mm-hmm. And so in technological systems, a disaffordance is when you're forced to tell the system that you are something that you are not so oh, that you can fuck. proceed into the next, to the next thing. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. That's so exactly what it is. Cause you can't get past these fucking two radio buttons to fill out the application. Exactly. And so that's a small example of this much, this much larger way that structural and historical inequality is getting re-encoded and re-inscribed through technological systems. And, you know, the, a much larger version of that would be like, you know, the pre-trial risk assessment systems or something, mm, these automatic mm-hmm. decision support systems that we know are racist and pre- over-predict, um, you know, black males' likelihood of recidivism and under-predict white people's likelihood of recidivism. And so then this is something that has an impact on how long somebody's going to be locked up in mm-hmm. a cage or whether they're mm-hmm. locked. Not that we should be locking people up in cages at all, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I would say I'm an abolitionist. So I believe our goal should be, how do we eliminate um, locking people up in cages at all? But um, I'm, ju- I'm just saying that like, so socio-technical systems reinscribe existing power inequalities like race, class, and gender in everything as small as like a radio button mm-hmm. on an application form all the way up to how long somebody gets to stay in prison or even go to prison. And it's so interesting because people act like this, the, the, what's informing these, these systems is this unbiased, clean, uh, objective, um, whatever, but it's coming from some, somebody's historical perspective and everybody's historical perspective is biased in some way, has some kind of bias in it. Yeah. And it's, especially as we're starting to talk about sort of automated decision support systems that are becoming important in so many areas of life, like, so AI, machine learning, um, decision-making systems that support people in different positions of power, these are being trained with data sets. And how are the data sets gathered? They yes. were gathered at a particular moment in time. They're historical. They come, they, they come with their own biases. So anything to do with policing, you know, we know about you know, why were police even created in the first place? Exactly, and, you know, to, to catch slaves. <laughs> So where police are deployed then is going to produce the data set of, uh, you know, of crimes and crime likelihood and all of that is then going to then be used to train a system mm-hmm. um, that's going to make. And you're going to be able to justify it because you have all this, all this historical data that right. no one has challenged throughout the years because no one in that space had the perspective to challenge it. No, exactly. every, everybody in that space had the same beliefs. And now we're coming in masses saying, and hey, no. And that's what, that's the pushback I get a lot is, is it's like, well, so what, what we've been doing it, what, what's been, because we weren't, that's the, again, it goes back to, again, oh my, this is a great conversation. It goes back again to, the boot camp in the ISA. If you only look at the ISAs, you're not looking at the whole picture. The reason that data has been um, used over and over again is because the individuals with the perspective to talk about how harmful it is have never been in the space. And that data also informs, supports, and, and, and props up white supremacy in the first. So who's going to, if you're benefiting from, from it, you're not going to challenge that. Mm-hmm. You're not even um, going to see it, probably. Oh, definitely not going to see it. And uh, I want to go back to a point you made um, when you were saying about um, it's the fact that um, 
like the the radio buttons. I if I wasn't, I'm having conversations with, I'll call them lay people, people outside of tech. That's what I'll call them right now, because um, I don't want to call them non-technical. So lay people, um, when I'm having conversations about this stuff, and their minds are blown, and I find myself having to be really, really patient. Particularly, like one of the conversations I'm having over and over and over and over again is pronouns. Um, it's because, and I have to understand that I'm in a space that, like I said before, is very unique. There, there are a conglomerate of people here. Um, and pronouns are becoming a standard here. Mm. It's how we're able to communicate respectfully with other individuals. Um, other industries, other place, places in people's lives don't have this. This is how I'm, I'm running. I am found found. I'm the founder of and leader of a hashtag called the scene community that is all about improving inclusion and diversity and, 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 and safety. And, and, and the, the most important guiding principle is prioritize the most vulnerable. So it is imperative that I use this languaging. I have to be, when I'm having conversations with my friends, I have to be mindful that they, that's not their lives. So when I'm saying this, this is all freaking new to them. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? I heard this pronoun thing. I don't get it because they is that da, 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 based on the dictionary. Then I have to go and say, you know what? A lot of things in the dictionary change. So, that, <laughs> you know, so it's a whole class of, of understanding that I am privy to, you are privy to, uh, that many people are. And, I, and one of the things that I could tell you about technology, when we just talk about Twitter, whiteness can, if they are honest, Twitter is the first time in most of your lives that you've ever had the experience of hearing from brown people Black people, indigenous people, people with different abilities, honestly telling you, telling you their lived experience. Not your white, not your one black friend who's not going to say anything because if he says anything, he's going to be put out the group. But you honestly seeing for the first time for many of you, because I, I don't know how many people, 2016 was just like the, oh shit, there's, a, there's such thing as racism. So you've had only not even four years of, 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 of anti-racist education or just an education on what the hell white supremacy is um, to, to, to take all this in. So I recognize that. I recognize, I, I take this on as an educator. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. This is why I am very much sympathetic. I don't care. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make myself, I'm no longer making myself uncomfortable so that whiteness can be comfortable in learning. No, 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 no. You need to get this hard like everybody else has been doing getting for years. Mm, um, uh, and yet I can see, and this is why I do the work that I can see, I'm good at taking the, that education, that classroom management thing and, and saying, okay, all right, here's where we're gonna start. <laughs> and here's where, now if you haven't done the basic Google, I'm not the one. You need to talk to one of your white friends about that because, um, I'm not doing the kindergarten stuff anymore. I'm sick of talking about what these things I have. It, I've written it down. I've created videos. Go learn that first. Right. I'm on a doctoral level at this point about what this, because we need to move this, this needle. We can't keep having the same conversation. Yeah. So um, I experienced something, sim, you know, in similar or parallel in terms of, 
you know, people asking me kind of like trans 101 questions. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, you know, that site, let me Google that for you. <laughs> I'll like, I'll send them to that sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes I'll, I'll just talk to them about it. Yeah. But it kind well, of depends, it, me, you know, who they are and how I'm feeling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It depends it's not on like who- you couldn't just you know, there aren't a thousand videos on YouTube and resources and zines. And, 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 it, and it's so funny because you get the, the I'm your ally. Why won't you teach me? That whole no. sentence is just, <laughs> it's just dripping with privilege and disgust. And so I don't owe you shit. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, one of the things that I've been trying to push on recently, including within trans community, is, um, you know, first of all, that um, it's too... Unfortunately, um, you know, white supremacy is such a powerful system that even within, like, you know, trans community, of course, you will constantly see the contributions of black trans women in particular, you know, just being erased, um, even though, of course, it's, it's black and Latinx, you know, trans women and femmes who led so much uh, of, this whole, uh, of this whole movement and have fought so hard and have suffered so much of the brunt of the violence yes. uh, of cis heteropatriarchy um, because of the way that it is so deeply imbricated with and linked to white supremacy and capitalist control. And I think, um, so one is to like ensure that the contributions of black and brown trans women, you know, aren't constantly erased, even in queer spaces and trans spaces. And the other um, is in particular to like ensure that people don't somehow get like there's this narrative that oh this is some new shit like something this was just invented that like oh where did all these new genders come yeah, from yeah oh this is all this is all uh, like, political correctness that's all this is and listen you know like for most of human history yes trans people have been around beings had not even trans like people had different words for different types of genders and different native people yes many not have just two genders because we can't we can't generalize like we're not going to universalize like because peoples are peoples and they're all different but like native peoples always had other genders genders. some some had three genders some had four or five genders and all of that was violently attacked and systematically erased and people were brutally killed yes. uh, when they were not conforming into one of these two binary oppositions that the European colonizers believed in at the time mm-hmm. that they arrived and in based the on Christianity and, Africa's. <laughs> and so exactly so I'm like this isn't new this is like a return to the previous like gender like diverse system that we that we had of complexity I've all, I've always been kind of icky about missionary work, but now I see the violence of mm. the history of missionary work in a way that I never saw it before because it's never it's never been taught to us that in that way. It is ripping the 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 soul out of individuals by saying what you are is doesn't conform to. First of all, this book that the Catholic Church decided what books were going to be in the Bible, all these other things that we're making it as this absolute. And because you don't fit this thing, as you said, then you need to be decimated. Then what you have is not a value. And, and not only not a value, but it's harmful to, to it's, 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 it's um, animalistic. It's tribal. It's all these things that you, we need to tame you. And how do you tame people? Or how do because you, you tame them like you tame animals? You treat them as horrifically as possible to get them to align, so that they are too fearful to do anything else. And that's and I want to get into your book and just a, in the network in just a second. But the, what I want to end that part on, and this is why 
we're having the clashes now because we're in so many numbers that your violence takes some of us down and we mourn them, but there are more of us coming. There are more of us and it's making us more emboldened. It's because you're making martyrs out of people that we love, that we cared about, we respect it. And in the past that would have, you know, like, okay, let me go hide. It's not anymore because I did not know before this technology that other black and brown women were having the same issues with white women at work with the tears. And I didn't know this was a universal thing. I didn't know that that was a, you know, that that is a strategy that white women use globally to get what the fuck they want. Did not know that, you know? Um, So you're sitting back gaslit thinking like, what the hell did I do wrong? And now you're like, oh, hell no. I know what this is now. Mm -mm, We're not, (laughs) we're not doing this. So Mm. all the, and what I can tell you, and I tell people, I know people are pissed off that he's the president, but I can tell you I'm happy he's the president because he has highlighted some shit that has been hidden for so, he has, he's, he has offended them. All the rules and shit that they've been hiding behind, he has, I don't know if they knew he was going to rip the cover off that, but he has exposed so much that now everybody's like, oh, okay, that's what that is. That's what I, all right, so you can't take this shit back. You cannot go back. We see it now. We've we've known it, in quotes, but we, oh, we felt it, but now we know it. We see it. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. But now we know it, we see it. Um, and, and, and so it's unfortunate. And I tell people, I'm not trying to be a martyr for this work because I don't think we have to be. I don't think um, we're at a place now. And this is another reason why I stay in tech because this is a business imperative. If you're, if you're creating products and services that harm because of your lack of, um, or your lack of perspective, that's a risk management issue. And at very soon, folks going to start getting sued for this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I really agree with that. And I think, I think that you're right that we're at a moment when like there are, there are so many people now just like coming 
out of the woodwork to share these experiences and build communities and like call out these problems and critique them and also to think about how to build alternative systems that are that are sustainable and that are more just and inclusive i mean i mean i'm just thinking about the last year and all of these amazing um scholars because i am in the academy as mm -hmm. well so mm -hmm. who came out with these books last year like you know ruha benjamin came yes. out with race after technology um you know we have uh, meredith broussard with the artificial unintelligence um Sophia Noble's book, well, I guess yes. it came out the year before that, but uh, Algorithms of Oppression. Mm -hmm. It's like there's this whole new... Tsunami. A tsunami. Yes. Yeah. yes. A, a tsunami. And I'm loving that it's coming from... scholarship. Yes. About technology. And this is the thing. I've been saying this. And you... See, now this goes back to why I asked that first question, first question and I did, not know, nah, I did not know why I asked that first question because I continue to say Black women are the moral compass of this country. So what you just said, wrap that into me, totally clicked, was a bing, bing, bing in my head with that. It's this Black feminist scholarship that is now informing tech. Mm. Uh, we're coming, it's like we're come, the bubbles are here. We're, we're at that tipping point. Um, and I want to say one thing, and then I'll want you to get into the network. One of the things that I've noticed in the, in the community, and I've, I fucked up on it, and I, and I did it strategically because no one was having the conversation, and I needed to have this conversation, is it, and it goes back to what you were talking about when white trans women, um, they are causing harm in black and brown trans, lesbian, bi non-binary spaces, because when they come in and center whiteness, all, their other marginalization gets ignored. And when you tell black, brown, non-gender um, non conforming, whatever individuals, that only thing we can talk about in this space that they've created for their own safety is that are the things we have the same. And then when they don't, when they push back on that, you call them TERFs, which is basically that is a to call someone a turf. It's worse than a swear word. It's 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 you're putting a, a horrible label on someone just because they're protecting themselves from your whiteness as you come in. I, I have this conversation every time I have a white trans individual on on the show because I need this message to get out. I need white trans women to understand we are in solidarity with you. But what we will not do. It's, it's not just because, like you said, erasure. It's beyond erasure. You are actively causing harm when you come into these spaces and say that women can't talk about their cycles, their, their um, the childbirth, having when they can't have that conversation because you can't relate to that conversation. Do people really do that? Yes. I've had wow. so many brown and black trans, lesbian women come and uh -huh. talk to me about this. That's why I keep bringing it up. Yeah. No, I, be I believe you. I've, I haven't. I haven't seen that, but I hear you and I'm going to like look for that more and talk with, you know, people in my community. Um, so, you know, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's complicated in part because there are these really active networks yes. of yes. actual TERFs who most of them are white women yes. who are attacking trans women. And one of the things that they do is that they make all these fake accounts that pretend to be trans women. Yes. And they mm -hmm. say that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They like, they like, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, like oh trust me, because they, they, yeah. they're, they're, they're doing it to us black women. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then when I see that stuff, I'm always like, I see this reaction from like non-trans white women usually who are like saying like, I can't believe that trans women are saying that like 
I'm not allowed to talk about my womb or whatever. And then I mm-hmm. look at that and I'm like, wait, I don't, I don't know any trans women who have like actually said that. So mm-hmm. are you just responding to like these trolls and like these bot accounts? But I mean, I believe that it is happening. So no, it's, ha- it's happening in spaces. I know I'm, I've had. But it also and, is getting um, used. Yes. As well, see, that's the same yeah. thing with, with, um, with these fake accounts who are pretending to be black women. They're trying to match the vernacular of black women yeah. and use our lived experiences to attack other black women and other and black feminists. Wedges. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so this sure. is, so yes, they're using the tactic effective, effectively, but there is uh, outside of that, that's one thing. And yes, those are turfs. What I'm talking about are white trans women who are invited into black and brown spaces. And it's like you shit all over the floor and then you're pissed off because people are like, why are you shitting on the floor? So I'm not talking about these white women, yeah, they're going to do what they, they're going to uphold white supremacy any way they can. I'm talking about when you come into spaces with other marginalized individuals, and I've been doing a lot of talks on this, mm-hmm. when, uh, when whiteness enters marginalized spaces, yeah. it needs to suppress whiteness because it's going to cause harm to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so your transness gets ignored. No one cares about that at this point because now it's about survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you lose, they lose, everybody loses. Right. So I'm trying to really create something. So, um, um, if, and that's the same thing with white passing Jews. That's the same thing with, if, if you have, if you have white privilege and you are also marginalized by a disability seen or unseen or whatever, when you come into a space and you center that, mm-hmm. it messes up everything. It, it, yes. it, yeah. And it requires you to understand the, the the harm that whiteness does because this this is one reason I don't use the word I don't like white fragility white fragility anymore because they've taken uh, Robin D'Angelo's academic terminology mm-hmm. and has made it into this well I'm just which is white fra- fra- you have to excuse us this is just I'm fragile no Mm-mm. on Wait, the other Oh, oh my okay so yeah so there's this whole they're using white fragility as a defense yes 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 of taking responsibility for stuff so when something happens you'll see um somebody coming to their they'll say something off the fucking just out of and then somebody will come and say oh that's just white fragility no fuck that isn't that is that is abuse that Mm -hmm. is not white fragility Mm -hmm. um because people need to understand how she used it was to explain the fact that white people were not used to this kind of stress because right. they've never had it. Right. Um, but on the, uh, put a period on that. And on the other side of that with white fragility, even if you understand it, what you need to understand, and this is where she failed in my opinion. And a lot of people in white studies fail. They don't move to the other side of it. Your white fragility has a cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Um, when you become, when you get, in that space, you actively cause harm to other people. It's not, you don't, it just doesn't stay with you. It just doesn't stay with whiteness. When white, when whiteness gets in that space, it causes harm. There's a ripple effect. There's a cause and effect to it. And I want to deal with the impact, not the intention. Right. Right. That's actually, you know, that brings us directly to the, um, the design justice principles. Cause we have our, I planned it that way. <laughs> our third principle, principle three is we prioritize design's impact on the community over the intentions of the designer. Um, because the tech space is so full of people who just say, well, I was designing this thing to solve a problem for this community. Um, and then actually end up causing 
unintentional <laughs> harm happens over and over again. So let's go talk about that. Let's go. So you can give all the principles. You can do whatever you want to. Let's talk about the Design Justice Network. Yeah, well, let me give like a little, like very brief uh, background for this. And okay. then I'll, mm -hmm. I'll go through the principles. So it's not, won't take that long. Um, so Design Justice Network is a community of practitioners, of people who are doing different types of design work. So there are graphic designers and some architects, some coders and technologists, some people who don't even really identify as designers. They're more like, oh, I'm a community organizer, but I see how design and tech are important to my community. And we came out of the Allied Media Conference, um, which if you don't know about Allied Media Conference, it's alliedmedia.org. Um, it's a conference that happens in Detroit every, uh, every other year, and it's been going for 20 years. Um, and it's a space for people who are sort of using media to help build uh, social movements of different kinds. Um, and it's a space that really centers um, black and brown, queer and trans uh, POC. Um, and it's a pretty amazing space. So alliedmedia.org, it's gonna be happening this summer in Detroit uh, in June. Um, but so coming out of Allied Media back in 2015, um, a group of people started getting together saying, well, what would it mean to kind of rethink the way that we're doing design um, through an explicit sort of racial and gender justice lens? Um, and out of that, that initial convening and work, the Design Justice Network was born. And we now are a network with about um, 800 people who have signed on to our principles. We have local nodes that are like meetups that are happening in different cities. Like we have a, a node in Toronto, in Philly, in New York City, um, in different, different, there's just one that started up in Singapore. Mm. Um, so there, and there's a Mediterranean region node that just popped up in, um, in Barcelona. Um, so there's people in different spaces around the world who are trying to think about how to use design um, for justice. And we have a set of principles that organize us and unite us. And I'm just going to read yes, them please. if that's okay. Mm -hmm. You can find them all at designjustice.org. But so the principle one is that we use design to sustain, heal, and empower our communities, as well as to seek liberation from exploitative and oppressive systems. Principle two is we center the voices of those who are directly impacted by the outcomes of design processes. Three, we prioritize design's impact on the community over the intentions of the designer. Four, we view change as emergent from an accountable, accessible, and collaborative process rather than just a point at the end of the process. So that's an attack back against solutionism, right? Mm -hmm. Principle five, we see the role of the designer as a facilitator rather than an expert. And I would, I would actually say we've been debating this one because we want to value different kinds of expertise. Mm -hmm. um, but actually principle six gets at that. So principle six, we believe that everyone is an expert based on their own lived experience. Mm -hmm. And we all have unique and brilliant contributions to bring to a design process. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you talk about this one a lot um, in your, your podcast and in your work. Uh, principle seven, we share design knowledge and tools with our communities. So rather than trying to always just be like an intermediary or like, I'm, I'm the unicorn, I'm the rock star, mm -hmm. I'm the ninja, mm -hmm. I'm gonna solve your problem. It's like, <laughs> no, we're gonna like share this knowledge and build mm -hmm. a thing together. Principle eight, we work towards sustainable community-led and controlled outcomes. Principle nine, we work towards non-exploitative solutions that reconnect us to the earth and to each other. Mm. And the last principle, principle 10, is that before seeking new design solutions, 
we look for what's already working at the community level. Oh, good, good. We honor yes. and uplift traditional indigenous, diasporic, and local knowledge and practices. Yes. And fine. those are the principles we use to try and organize our activities. And then based on that, we're doing everything from um, convenings and gatherings. So we're going to be meeting at the Ally Media Conference again uh, this year in June. We have these local networks that are meeting. We put out a series of zines. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, one is about sort of like organizing um, spaces according to these principles. One is about, um, it, one lifts up examples of different like design projects and how they tried to like follow these principles and where they where that worked and how they failed or how they could have been done better. Um, and then, um, yeah, we're just, we're trying to develop a whole community of practitioners who are like, we're just sick and tired of like these technology design processes that are extractive, that don't respect local knowledge, that are solutionist, that ignore what's already working, that if you do like include people from a community in your design process, it's just to like take something from yes. them, package it up, and then like sell it back to them mm-hmm. without any benefit and instead do things differently. I t- I, I, I'm going to ask you what's your final words after this, but this makes me think of, I watched um, Poverty Inc., Poverty Inc. And it's about NGOs. And mm. it reminded that what you just said that pulls out and it talks so much about um, how people think these these great these organizations are doing great work. Just like um, Tom's Shoes. Everybody was so excited about Tom's Shoes. You know, you get a pair, they give a pair. Well, it has decimated the, the shoe making, the shoe cobbler businesses in, com- in, con- in whole countries because mm. why would you pay for shoes when these people can give you free shoes? Mm. Um, and so it goes back to the whole what's happened, what's already working there. Like there, it talks about Kenya had one of the most diverse cotton crops, just different varieties, but we decimated the Kenyan, the Kenyan, um, um, and made it not profitable at all for them to, to grow cotton. So now they have absolutely nothing and it gets imported. So now we're profiting off them. It's always about us getting rid of whatever they have or stealing, taking whatever they have and then selling it back to them. And, And it's supposed to be a value. This is like, yeah, in, in Puerto Rico, like where, like, like I said, we just came back the other day um, with my partner and we were, we were in this spot and um, looking at just like all of these crops, like these, like, like plantains and guanabana and soursop and mango and all just like popping up out of just like this person's lawn. And it was just like, you could just like throw any seed down here and it will just grow, right? Yeah, it will yeah. grow. It is like an abundant place. Yeah. And yet Puerto Rico is importing like almost all of its food at this mm, point. Mm-hmm. And that's because of like US trade policy mm-hmm. and import taxes and tariffs and the destruction of like local agriculture and its replacement by like Monsanto and exactly. monoculture. And like they use Puerto Rico as a site for experimentation, like with like tech experimentation on future agricultural monocultural crops that they're going to grow in these giant fields completely destroying like the local biodiversity mm-hmm. and richness and and so you just people have to like import everything and you just mentioned it i mean and, and destroying the soil that the kind of soil that makes any seed grow yeah you know <laughs> exactly wow this tech is-, is like that whether it's agricultural tech yes. or it's or it's this sh- like shoe business, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and this like innovation that actually mm-hmm. is harmful. 
mm-hmm. to the people it claims to be. Supporting. Because we don't think about we 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 will go and see. We'll take a little mission trip, or you know, and do a do a a, a gap year, go see some problem, and then want to come back to the U.S. and solve it without sitting back and understanding is it really a problem. And and if it is a problem, are are whatever community, wherever that is, are they are they developing solutions to solve that problem? And yes. and and can you do something instead of you coming back and being all creative? Can you use your privilege to amplify and support what they're already doing? <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. And in my in my new book, which you should check out, it's going to drop in February. From I already put it on the um the wish the hashtag wish list. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so chapter two in there is about design and accountability, um, and it's about nothing about us without us, which of course mm-hmm. is like a slogan that um, was popularized by the disability justice movement, um, but I think applies in any like marginalized or minoritized community. Um, you know, we need to talk about well, if you say that you're trying to like support or help what's already happening, what's already working, and can you amplify or even just hand over resources? Thank you. Get um, the hell out the way. (laughs) Right. So that people can um, develop um, their own solutions. Yes. This has been a great conversation, Sasha. What would you like to say in closing? Just thank you so much for having me on the show. Cause a scene. (laughs) Hashtag cause a scene. And, um, you know, I keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully for that community of people, like you said, it's just going to keep growing so that they can't shut us up. Yeah, I just I love that I find people like you in the community because the the more I believe, again, as an educator, um, I'm going to show you better than I can tell you. So the diversity of this of the hashtag causing community is just blows my mind. And I just love it um, and how um, we and I'm just thinking of the, just different ways that we can, I can galvanize that connectivity, that community to, to, to start moving something really quickly, you know, really impactful instead of these one-offs, how can we come together and, um, and, and really get some things going. So thank you. Um, yeah, you're in that group of, 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 of researchers that I've just had on the show run right after the other, <laughs> um, who are just knocking it dead. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.